Hello, this is the Drucker Forum Report. I'm Peter Day. This is a podcast about some of the striking ideas up in the air and up for discussion at the 8th Global Peter Drucker Forum. The forum takes place in Vienna every November. This year's forum theme is the Entrepreneurial Society. And with me is one of the main speakers, Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's Professor of Organizational Behavior at Stanford Business School, right in the middle of Silicon Valley, and one of the causes of Silicon Valley, Stanford University. It's an extraordinary record, isn't it? It is an extraordinary record. You're an expert on leadership and power, and it's the power that particularly interests me, because can we still talk about power in organizations? Absolutely. Everybody thinks that the world is a new place, and hierarchy's gone, and the millennials don't want any power, and of course, nothing has really changed. Companies are still hierarchies. There's only one CEO. There's only one prime minister. There's only one president. There's only one school superintendent. There's only one CEO, and it's always better at the top than at the bottom, so the power dynamics have essentially unchanged from what they were 20 or 30 or even 100 years ago. That's how it is. Is it how it ought to be? I don't talk about how it ought to be. I am a social scientist, not a moral philosopher. But doesn't command and control, isn't, isn't it inadequate for the flexibilities that are required of a modern digitized business? Many things are inadequate for what is required in the modern economy, but I don't see any evidence that command and control is going away, even in these new economic companies. So one of the things that you'll notice if you look at Facebook or if you look at Google or if you look at many of these other companies, but you can start with those two, is that the founders have put in place voting stock that give them disproportionate voting rights. What does that reflect? Their desire to keep control. Well, in some countries, such as Britain, that has been eroded over time, being thought as uh, undemocratic to the shareholders, for example. So we don't have many examples of restricted stock in Britain, do we? I don't know, but but you certainly have... People in Britain like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rupert Murdoch, who I believe still believes in old-style command and control. And it works, does it? Uh, It works for him. Does it work in general, though, for organizations, all these organizations you've, you've studied for so long? It depends upon what you mean by the word work. Uh, and, and I'm quite serious about that. One of the questions I get asked all the time, which I think is not a particularly good question, is, you know, what is good for, you know, what is good for the, for the, for the company? And I say, you know, it depends upon your perspective. So to take an, an example, when Merrill Lynch went under, Stan O'Neill, who drove it under, walked away with $140 million. Was Stan O'Neill's leadership style good? depends. If you're Mr. and Mrs. O'Neill, it was fabulous. If you're a Merrill Lynch employee who was sacked, it was not so good. So what I think people need to recognize is that what is good for the individual and what is good for the organization are not always the same. And in many instances, they're in conflict. So when you say is something good, good for who? Yeah, but that disalignment is surely part of the dysfunctionality of a corporation, isn't it? Shouldn't the aims and ideals and rewards for employees and boss classes be aligned in some way, shouldn't they? Uh, They should. And on the other hand, I shouldn't be, you know, old and bald. I mean, so, you know, the word should is a word that doesn't often creep into my vocabulary because, again, as a social scientist, I try to describe the ises, what is and why it is, not what should be. 
OK, here you are in Silicon Valley at Stanford University, from which many, many people march out and form companies almost instantly. Do they do it the same way as the organizations you've been studying for so long, the power hierarchies that you've been studying for so long? Do they do it the same way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they don't do it the same way, they will find that so the, there are two major threats to an entrepreneur. The first threat is that their entrepreneurial idea will turn out to be not very good and they'll fail. The second threat, which is almost a bigger threat, is that their idea will turn out to be fabulous, that the company will be extremely successful and they will get thrown out of it. And so one of the things I try to teach in my class is how to keep your job, because if you can't keep your job, you're not going to get anything done. Uh, some pointers then. How do I keep my job? Well, first of all, you understand that you have a boss and that, you, that your first job every day is to make your boss happy. And one of the best ways to make your boss happy is to have, and you know this, having worked for all those years at the BBC, the, way, the best way to keep your boss happy is to flatter your boss mercilessly and to make sure that the boss believes every idea is his or her idea. You're beginning to sound extremely cynical, Professor. I am not sounding cynical. I am sounding exactly correct. There is research that shows how effective flattery is. There is research that shows that people like things that remind them of themselves, and that includes their own ideas. So if I want you to do something, I should say to you, Peter, as you had this brilliant idea several weeks ago, it's just such a fabulous idea. We ought to do it. I am much more likely to get you to act on that than if I say to you, Peter, you ought to do what I'm telling you. You to do. But here you are at a forum, a conference, which is talking all about change and disruption and agility and old forms of management don't work anymore. And you say they are, do or have to. Human behavior, humans are humans. We have all evolved in, in exactly the same way. And I have found no evidence that power or power dynamics varies either over time or across countries. Now, it may change in the future, but as of this moment, the principles of the past, you know, Machiavelli is as relevant today as he was 500 years ago. As, by the way, many essays on this, the anniversary of the prince, which was 2013, pointed out. But you're not telling me that you flattered your way to the top of your profession, are you? I don't think so. <laughs> but the problem, and that's, be, and that's because I didn't have enough sense to do it. Oh, right. You would have ended up running the university rather than being a, just a professor, would you? That's probably right. However, I should point out that there is a price to be paid for having power. You can have power or you can have autonomy, but you cannot have both. And I would choose autonomy over power. Autonomy meaning a freedom of action that yes. you don't get when you have power. That's Define that a little bit more because that's a fascinating and uh, slightly creepy observation. It's not a slightly creepy. No, because you think your power means that you have autonomy. You power has a. You have no autonomy when you have power. You become president of the United States. As our new president-elect will soon learn, you have. You know, I can walk down the street. Nobody follows me. Nobody cares about me. I can keep my own schedule. The higher you rise in an organization, the more your schedule is filled, kept by assistants and people who want to see you. The more security you need, the more privacy you give up. The more representational your role becomes. Correct. And the, and the less and the less and the less you have, the less ability you have to say, "I think I'll just take the day off." Go fishing. Yes. How did you get into this particular line of study? Did power 
beckon you, or was it accidental? I have studied things over the years that have the following, I think, characteristics. Number one, they are important, and number two, everybody else is ignoring them. And that's been the secret to my career success, and power is only one of such topics, but it it is certainly one. So here is an important social phenomenon that is basically not taught about, wasn't taught about it very much, at least in those days, wasn't researched very much. People thought that you couldn't study it. And to me, anytime something is important but underexplored, it looks like a career opportunity. But what do people come to you to learn? The way things actually work in the real world as opposed to the, uh, the high thoughts of idealists outside the real world? That is exactly correct. People come to me to learn, and I say this actually in my course outline. My objective in my class, called the Path to Power, is to have people understand the world in a way that they never have to leave a job involuntarily. Now, I wish I were successful at accomplishing this, but I cannot tell a lie I'm not. But that is my objective. So the people never get fired. They never have to leave a job involuntarily. That is my objective. Uh, and, and happiness and uh, commitment and fulfillment don't really come into it? This is a class called the Path to Power, not the path to happiness, the path to spiritual enlightenment. We are focused on how you obtain and hold on to power. That's all I cover. And it wouldn't be better or more rewarding or more fulfilling for people if organizations could modify themselves so that this power structure enabled them to give more, to be more autonomous as they work for the organization, would it? I'm sure the life could be much better if many things were different. But at the moment, my job is to teach people how the world is. If they're going to change it, the first thing they need to do is understand how it is and why it is. And all of this stuff that I hear, these aspirations, the shoulds and the oughts and all this other stuff will get you absolutely nowhere if you don't understand the reality in which you are. You formed these ideas by observing things quite a long time ago. This gave you your, your, your base ideas, didn't it? How do you keep current with what's going on? How do you know you're still sure about this? A lot of people would ask that because they come to conferences like this where a lot of alternative ideas about the shape and size and structures of leadership are put forward. I read the social science literature assiduously. I contribute to the social science literature. Uh, as one of my friends said, I, I am an academic, and I looked at him askance, and he said that isn't an insult or a compliment, it's a description. And so I think there is much to be learned by reading the social science literature, which continues. We continue to do studies. Colleagues continue to do, to do studies of power and how you attain power and how you lose power. And so if you keep up with the research literature, as you would in medicine, as you would in engineering, as you would in science, you do it in social science, and then you will keep your ideas current. And it suggests, what you've just said suggests that there's a lot of fuzz about, which is about wishful thinkingness rather than what's actually happening. That is completely correct. these, These conferences in particular are filled with, to borrow a phrase from my book, Leadership BS, BS. Yes, BS. We can't spell it out maybe even in a podcast, but uh, the BS is about all these ideas. In You're tackling the, the world you intrude yourself into, the new world, and say it doesn't work, are you? Is that what the book is about? Uh, the book Leadership BS talks about all the things that we think we think we want leaders to be, but leaders aren't. And in fact, uh, Donald Trump is in the index to the book, even though it came out some years ago. Right. 
and it still holds. All this still oh, holds. And change, there's not much change about in the way an organization works. There's a lot of change in technology. There's a lot of change in the employment relationship with more and more people in precarious employment in the so-called gig economy. Uh, Wages in many countries have stagnated. The unemployment rate is high. The Gallup organization will point out uh, that 3.2 billion people want a good job, which Gallup defines is working more than 30 hours a week for a paycheck, and only 1.3 billion people in the world have that, and 1.9 billion people don't. So the, so the world is changing in many ways, but in terms of power dynamics and the principles of power, not much has changed. Uh, not even with the gig economy. That's the session uh, you've been talking about, talking at here at the forum, and even the gig economy with uh, a realignment of employment or relationships, it probably isn't employment, depends in which country and what the law says about that, even that gig economy doesn't change the principles of power, does it? Nope. Nope. Even though I'm working for myself, or think I am. Well, if you're working for yourself, one thing I can tell you is that nobody's paying benefits for you. And if you're working for yourself, your salary is probably less than when you work for the BBC. But other than that, uh, and the nice thing about working for yourself is you, you you look your boss in the mirror every day. Uh, you which, look at your boss in the mirror every day because you're your own boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you do too. Of course. Well, actually, I have a boss. I have a dean. We have a university president. Fortunately, they don't bother me too much. And then I don't bother them. That's kind of the deal. Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer from Stanford University, thank you very much. You've been speaking at the Global Peter Drucker Forum in Vienna. I'm Peter Day. This is the Drucker Forum Report. More podcasts coming up soon.